This is podcast number 196 for the Well-Educated Mother's Heart. Hi, I'm Marlene Peterson, and today I have the story about the courage of Anne Judson. I think I've told you about a friend I had who I would go to when I felt like life was just too hard. She didn't do it on purpose, but when I would tell her something I was facing, it would remind her of something that had happened to her in her own life. But the problems she faced were always way bigger than mine. And I'd go home thinking, wow, I'm glad I didn't have to go through that. And so I left feeling I could manage what I was going through. What she had given me was hope. If she could get through what she had gotten through, I could surely get through what I was facing. The same thing happened when I went to a therapist years ago. From my vantage point now, I'm not sure what he did was ethical, and I don't think he did it on purpose. But I sat down ready to dump on him all my problems. But he had just come out of a session with a woman who really had some huge things she was dealing with, and he just started telling me about them. And somehow they shrunk my problems, and I left without ever talking about one of them, because suddenly my problems became manageable, and I never felt a need to make another appointment. Now, I'm not saying there isn't a place for counseling, and I can say one of the great gifts another friend gave me was to one day let me sit, and she just simply listened as I dumped two hours worth of problems in her lap. She was someone I felt safe with, someone who I knew wouldn't judge me, and who would guard anything I told her in confidence. It somehow lightened my load without her needing to give me any advice. Sometimes we do need that listening ear. So it's in that spirit of putting problems in perspective and being inspired by others who have gone through things way harder than probably most of us will ever have to go that I share today's story. Story number 10 in my world storybook introduces you to an amazing missionary couple, the Judsons, who felt a call to serve the people of Burma. It briefly mentions an imprisonment, but I'd like to now give you the rest of the story found in Eva March Tappan's The Children's Hour series in the Adventures and Achievements volume. I hope that if you are facing something hard, it may serve the same therapeutic effect my friend and my therapist had on me. It reminds me that even though I hope I never have to go through what she did, I can see that we as human beings can do hard things. And when those times come, I hope I will have even a portion of the courage of Anne Judson. It was in the year 1810 that some young men of Andover, Massachusetts, hearing of the degraded condition of the people of India and Burma, determined to offer themselves as missionaries for life to that country. Among them was Adoniram Judson, aged 22 years. With his wife, he sailed from Salem, Massachusetts, for Calcutta, India, February 19, 1812, and from there for Rangoon, Burma, where he arrived July 1813. He at once set himself to work studying the language of the country. As soon as he was able to read and write Burmese, he prepared a tract containing the doctrines of the Christian religion. Of this he made several copies and loaned them around to the people, requesting them to read and circulate them. Some did as he desired, while others tore the tracts up before the missionary's eyes and informed him that they had plenty of religions without any of his new kind. 
1819, the first Zayat was opened for preaching and religious instruction. A Zayat is a large and beautiful house found in every village where strangers and travelers can rest. It is very much like a hotel, only it has but one or two large rooms. In June, a man came to Mr. Judson expressing sorrow on account of his sins and desiring baptism. After some conversation with him, the missionary became convinced of his sincerity and baptized him. In November, two others were baptized, making three converts in seven years' toil. But these three, in embracing the Christian faith, became the occasion of a great excitement and persecution. The priests were especially enraged, and by their influence obtained an order from the government to stop Zayat and all other preaching. In the summer of 1820, Mr. Judson baptized seven additional converts, though it was at the peril of their lives. Towards the close of 1821, Rev. Jonathan Price and wife were added to the mission. Mr. Price was a physician as well as a preacher, and as soon as the Burman king learned this, he sent for him to come and live at Ava, which had become the seat of government. Accordingly, accompanied by Mr. Judson, Dr. Price went up the Irrawaddy River and presented himself at the court of the Burman monarch. Several persons, among them the king, at once recognized Mr. Judson and entered into conversation with him about his new religion, his success in converting the Burmese, and kindred topics. For several months the doctor and Mr. Judson remained at Ava, the former being very successful in his practice, and both by their kind conduct, winning the regards of all with whom they came in contact. In fact, so strongly was the king prepossessed in favor of the missionaries that he insisted on their making Ava their permanent home. With this they were pleased, and both began immediately to arrange their affairs to this end. But scarcely had they begun when the news spread like wildfire all over the country that war had been declared between Great Britain and Burma. May 23rd, a messenger announced to the missionaries the capture of Rangoon by the English, which filled them at first with joy and then with fear. Besides the missionaries, there were three young English merchants at Ava named Gouger, Laird, and Rogers. These were arrested as spies and put in confinement, and Dr. Price and Mr. Judson were fearing the same fate, though more than once assured by the king's brother that they should not be disturbed. At length word came for the missionaries to appear before a court of inquiry. They were rigidly questioned, the great point being to know whether they had not been in correspondence with the government of England in regard to the state of Burma. To this, both the doctor and Mr. Judson replied that they had written letters only to friends in America, never once having had any correspondence either with English officers or the Bengal government. After their examination, they were not put into confinement, but were permitted to go to their own homes. Just before dinner, June 8, 1824, a gang of men rushed into Mr. Judson's house. One of them was an officer with a black book in his hand, and another of the twelve accompanying him was a man of spotted face, an executioner with a small, hard cord in his hand. "'Where is the teacher?' called out the officer." "'Here I am,' calmly replied Mr. Judson. "'You are called by the king,' exclaimed the officer. "'These are the words always used on occasion of making a criminal arrest. 
Scarcely had they been uttered ere the man of spotted face had thrown Mr. Judson on the floor and began tying him with the cord, the instrument of torture. Mrs. Judson caught him by the arm and said, Stay, I will give you money, whereupon the officer vociferated, Take her too, she is a foreigner. Mr. Judson too begged with an imploring look that they would not bind him till he could see the king himself. The gang went on to the courthouse, where the officers of the law were in waiting, one of whom read the sentence of the king commanding Mr. Judson to be cast into what was termed the death prison. The death prison was constructed of boards and was considerably stronger than an ordinary Burmese dwelling house. There were no windows nor other means of admitting the air except by such cracks as always exist in a simple board house and only one small door. The ground served as a floor, and prisoners were continually dying from disease, making the atmosphere very unhealthy and dangerous. The supply of food was so irregular that, when it came, the maddened way in which it was devoured not infrequently resulted in death. Into such a prison was Mr. Judson thrust. His wife was at home alone, excepting for four small Burmese girls who had been living with her. She went into an inner room and tried to pray, but the Burmese officers without kept her in fear of her life the whole night. Some of them threatened to tear her house down and put the cord on her and carry her off. Others yelled that they had fire and would burn her and the house up together. Morning came, however, and she found neither herself nor the little girls injured. Maung Ying calling, Mrs. Judson requested him to go and ascertain the situation of her husband and to give him food, if living. He soon came back with the news that Dr. Price and Mr. Judson and all of the white prisoners were alive, but that each of them had on three pairs of iron fetters, and that all were fastened to a long pole to keep them from moving. This pole was passed between the legs and was fastened at each end, so that the men, nine in number, were compelled to lie in a row upon the floor, without a mattress, or so much as a block or a piece of wood for a pillow. One leg rested on the upper side of the long bamboo pole, and with all its weight of iron shackles pressed upon the leg below, producing, even after partial numbness had taken place, an agony almost beyond endurance. Mrs. Judson wrote a letter to one of the king's sisters, with whom she was on intimate terms, beseeching her to interfere in behalf of the missionaries. But the letter was sent back, with the message that nothing could be done. On the third day she wrote and sent a letter to the governor of the city, who had the entire direction of prison affairs, requesting permission to visit him with a present. The governor was pleased and told her to come, at the same time informing the guards that they must offer her no indignity or resistance. On reaching the governor's house she was received pleasantly, but was informed that the prisoners could not be set free, though possibly their situation might be rendered more comfortable. "'Go to my head officer at the prisoner,' said the governor. "'Maybe he will do something for you.' She went, but her first glance told her that the tiger-cat would probably do nothing. "'What shall I do?' said she to the chief jailer, to obtain some mitigation of the sufferings of the two teachers. "'Give me,' was the reply, two hundred tikals, about two hundred dollars, two pieces of fine cloth, 
and two pieces of handkerchiefs. Mrs. Judson had her pocket full of gold and silver, but she had no cloth or handkerchiefs either with her or at home. She drew out the money and begged that he would take it, and not insist on articles which were not in her possession. The hardened monster frowned at first and refused, but in a few moments concluded to take the money and relieve the teachers. Mrs. Judson then procured an order from the governor for her admittance into the prison and started to see her husband. The order, however, failed to admit her. She was only permitted to see Mr. Judson at the door, and while conversing with him there, the iron-hearted jailers gruffly told her to leave. She showed the order from the governor and entreated them piteously to let her go in, but they told her, with greater roughness than ever, to leave instantly or they would drag her away. Shortly afterwards, the property of Mr. Gouger, amounting to 50,000 rupees or nearly $25,000, was confiscated. Next, the officers entered the dwelling of Mrs. Judson and informed her they were going to serve her in the same way. "'Where is your gold and silver?' said the royal treasurer, after having looked around very considerably in vain for money. "'And where are your jewels?' The officer carried the money and other things to the king, saying, "'Judson is a true teacher. We found nothing in his house but what belongs to priests. In addition to this money, there are an immense number of books, medicines, trunks full of clothes, etc., of which we have only taken a list.' Shall we take them or let them remain? Let them remain, said the king, and put this property by itself, for it shall be restored to Mr. Judson again if he be found innocent. This was an allusion to the idea of his being a spy. Mrs. Judson prepared a petition to the queen, who was once her warm friend, asking her to intercede for the release of her husband and Dr. Price, but the queen sent word back. The teachers will not die. Let them remain as they are. This went like a thunderbolt to her heart, and for ten long days she endeavored to obtain admittance to the prison to tell Mr. Judson the sad news. She then wrote a letter and managed to secure a poor Burmese laborer, her friend, to carry it secretly to her husband. The plan succeeded, and in this way several letters were passed back and forth. At last the letter-carrier was found out and whipped nigh into death, and then placed in the stocks and kept there several days. Mrs. Judson was also fined ten dollars for the alleged misdemeanor, and threats were made to her that the prisoners would suffer additionally. One afternoon at the close of the seventh month a change came. A crowd of natives rushed into the prison-yard and while some seized the white prisoners, already burdened with three pairs of fetters, and put on two pairs more, others tore down the little bamboo house which Mrs. Judson had built, and snatched up and carried off all the pillows and mattresses. Mr. Judson and Dr. Price, as well as the seven others, were stripped nearly naked and hurried into the inner prison, then thrown on the floor and the bamboo pole run between their legs. The cause of this was the receipt of the news at Ava of the complete rout and destruction by the English of the Burman army under Bandula, the greatest war captain the king had. Here were more than one hundred wretched men writhing and groaning and rattling their chains and struggling to obtain a little pure air, 
and some relief from the fever and heat of the dark room. At nightfall, one of the jailers whispered that all the white prisoners were to be executed at three o'clock that night. They waited in suspense till the gray morning light shone through the board cracks when the head jailer came in, and in answer to their questions whether they were to be executed, chucking them under the chin, he said, Oh, no, I can't spare my beloved children yet. As he finished speaking, he kicked the bamboo pole so violently that all the chains rattled and the five rows of fetters dashed together, pinching sharply the flesh they caught between them. After Mr. Judson had been about a month in the inner prison, he was attacked with a slow fever which threatened to terminate his life. His wife, on learning his illness, was greatly distressed and begged permission of the jailers to rebuild the bamboo house in the prison enclosure, but it was all in vain. Something like a year before the war broke out, the king had received from a foreign friend the present of a noble lion. The king thought a great deal of his present, as did all the members of his court, but now it was noised around that the English carried a lion upon their standard, and that the real reason of the failure in war of Bandula was because of the lion kept by the king. No one, however, dared to speak out boldly against the lion, except a brutal fellow who was a brother to the king's wife, and who owed all his position and influence to the subtle tricks and sly intriguings of his sister. He said two or three times in the hearing of the king, If that old lion was only out of the way, they could soon kill off the English army. And now began a new and terrible scene of misery. The missionaries had seen men and boys beaten and smothered and starved, and then dragged out by the hills and fed to the dogs. But to see a lion that could not comprehend the meaning of such cruelty was something for which the missionaries were not prepared. Day after day the poor beast writhed with the pangs of hunger, parched with thirst and bruised and bleeding from his fearful struggles to escape from the cage. His roaring, said Mr. Judson, seemed to shake the prison to its foundations and sent a thrill of indescribable terror to our hearts. The head jailer said it was the British lion struggling against the conquering Burmas, though at times his face betrayed marks of uneasiness and fear. Now and then a woman, who could not bear to hear the poor animal howl and roar so, would steal in in the nightfall and throw some crumbs of food to him through the cage bars. Instead, however, of appeasing his hunger, his ravings were only made the wilder by so small an amount. At last, however, he died, and his skeleton was dragged out of the cage and buried with more honor than is customarily shown in the case of human beings. By long importunity, Mrs. Judson succeeded in obtaining the permission of the governor to take her husband out of the prison into the empty lion's cage. He was very weak from the fever and could scarcely crawl to his new quarters, and when in the cage neither he nor Mrs. Judson could stand up in it, so low was its top. One morning, while Mrs. Judson was sitting in the cage with her husband, just after he was through eating the breakfast she had brought, a messenger came in haste to inform her that she was wanted at the governor's. She started up in fear and hurried tremblingly to his house. At first sight of his face, which was all smiles, her fear left her, and when he stated to her that his watch was out of order 
and that he wished it examined and fixed, she very pleasantly replied that she would do the best she could, and sitting down she began the work. For some two hours she was in the governor's company, he being very talkative and agreeable. She then started home, but on her way was met by one of her former female servants, who told her that the prisoners, her husband among the rest, had all been carried off. Instantly Mrs. Judson saw through the governor's deception and became almost wild with grief. She ran into one of the principal streets and a long distance down it, hoping to catch some glimpse of her husband, but in vain. She asked everyone she met what had become of the white prisoners, but no one could answer her. At length she met an old woman who informed her that they had been marched off towards the little river and that they were afterwards to be taken to Amarapura. She thereupon ran to the little river, but could see nothing of them. She then hurried to the place where criminals were executed, but found nothing of them there. Lastly, she returned to the governor's house and inquired of him, who at first pretended to be surprised at their having disappeared, but in the end said he supposed they had gone to Amarapura. Next morning, Mrs. Judson packed two trunks with some of the most valuable articles in her house and had them and the medicine chest deposited at the governor's. The rest of the things she left in charge of two faithful servants. By sunrise, she and her little company, consisting of her babe, three months old, named Maria, two little Burman girls, and a Bengalese cook, who was the only help, were on their way. They proceeded five miles in a covered boat and then secured a cart for the two remaining miles. The day was dreadfully hot and dusty, and Mrs. Judson and her babe nearly perished before reaching Amarapura. What was her astonishment on arriving at the courtyard to learn that the prisoners were not there, but that two hours previously they had been sent to a prison four miles distant. The cartman who brought her to Amarapura refused to go further, saying that his bullocks were tired and that it was too hot and dusty. With her babe in her arms and the sun pouring down its blistering rays, she walked all over the town hunting a new cartman. Succeeding at last, the journey was resumed, and just at dusk they came inside of Awang Penla, where the prison was located. The prison itself was an old and shattered building without a roof, Eight or ten Burmese laborers were at work making a roof of leaves, and underneath a projection outside of the prison sat the nine chained white prisoners, almost dead with suffering and fatigue. Mr. Judson especially was very much exhausted, having not yet recovered from his attack of fever. Nothing escaped her lips, but his first words were, Why have you come? I hoped you would not follow, for you cannot live here. It was now dark. Mrs. Judson and all the rest were very hungry, but she had no tea or bread, nothing even of which they could make a meal. She begged one of the jailers the privilege of putting up a little bamboo hut near the prison, but he said it was not customary and refused the request. Seeing, however, the weak state of the babe and the mother's exhausted strength, he took them to his own house of two small rooms and told her she might have the smaller one. It was partly filled with grain and was damp and filthy, but the hour being late and this her only chance for the night, she went in. Borrowing some lukewarm water of the jailer's wife, 
She drank it instead of tea, and then threw herself on a mat to sleep. Early next morning Mr. Judson gave his wife an account of the brutal treatment he received when taken from the prisoner at Ava. While she was at the governor's, he was roughly dragged out, and all his clothes stripped off except his shirt and pantaloons. Every other prisoner was served in the same way. Then round the waist of each a stout rope was wound, and thus fixed, barefooted and bareheaded, walking in pairs, an officer in advance of the company on horseback, and a slave holding to each pair by a cord, the wretched men marched along, none of them knew whither. It was in May, the hottest month of the year in Burma, and about eleven o'clock a.m. They had proceeded scarcely half a mile when Mr. Judson's feet blistered, and so great was his agony that he cried out to be thrown into the river. There were yet eight miles to walk, and the way was over sand and gravel that felt like hot coals to their naked feet. The skin peeled almost wholly off, but the unfeeling drivers plied them with their whips, caring nothing if they killed them even before reaching Amorapura. Previous to starting, Mr. Judson had tasted no breakfast, and from the effects of his fever was unable to endure fatigue like the rest. When about halfway, the company stopped to drink, and he asked the officer who took the lead if he could not let him ride a while on horseback, but a scowl of vengeance was all the reply he received. He then asked the man to whom he was tied, Captain Laird, if he might not take hold of his shoulder and rest himself some, to which the captain kindly assented. But they had proceeded in this way only a little over a mile when the captain's strength failed. Just at this time a Bengalese servant in the employ of Mr. Gouger came up, and seeing Mr. Judson's failing condition, gave him his shoulder and carried him nearly all the remainder of the journey. He also tore his turban in two, which was made of cloth, and giving half to Mr. Gouger and half to Mr. Judson, they bound up their bleeding feet with the pieces. The captain, seeing the deplorable condition of his prisoners, concluded to stay one night at Amorapura, though originally he had determined to reach Ong Penla before stopping. An old shed was found, and under it they were driven to spend the night. The wife of the Lamine Woon, or chief officer, had her heart moved when she saw the wretched condition of the white men, and immediately ordered some fruit, sugar, and tamarinds for their supper. In the morning she further manifested the benevolence of her heart by cooking some rice, which, poor though it was, was eaten with grateful hearts. Carts were then brought, drawn by oxen, and the prisoners placed in them, they being unable to walk. After a restless night with her babe, Mrs. Judson arose, and, leaving the child with the older one of the girls, started in search of food. She returned after a long march, unsuccessful. One of the prisoners, however, a friend of Dr. Price, had brought some cold rice and a vegetable curry or stew from Amorapura, and another one some tea. Here also began great personal troubles with Mrs. Judson. She had not a single article of convenience, not even a chair or stool. The very morning of her arrival, little Mary Hazeltine, the older of the two Burman girls, was taken down with smallpox in the natural way. Her husband was also prostrated with a fresh attack of fever. She could obtain no help or medicine. 
Her babe cried piteously and almost constantly, and she had to keep her nearly every moment in her arms. First she would have to look after Mary Hazeltine, and then after her husband, and all the time after the babe, except when asleep. Then it would lie for an hour or so on a bamboo mat by the side of its father. Gradually Mr. Judson grew better. At first the prisoners were chained two and two, but as soon as the prison keepers found other chains, they separated the men, fascinating on them but one pair. The great exertion which Mrs. Judson had made brought on a bowel disease to which foreigners are subject in India, and which almost always terminates in a few days with death. She had no medicine with which to check it, nor was any nearer than Ava. She became so weak that she could scarcely go once a day to see her chained husband. But in this low state she set out for Ava, where her medicine chest was deposited. She reached the governor's house in safety, and for two or three days the disease was at a stand. Suddenly it came on again, and so violently that she saw death staring her in the face. Her only wish now was to get back to Awang Penla and die beside her husband and babe. There was no one to give her medicine, but with great effort she crawled to the medicine chest, and taking out a vial of laudanum, swallowed two drops. She did this at the end of every two hours for a day, and then crawled down, being too weak to walk, and got into a boat bound for Amarapura. During this sickness, Mrs. Judson's babe, Maria, suffered the most. She could not nurse her, nor could the father be of any help. By long persuasion and the offer of presents, she prevailed on the jailer to allow her husband to go out into town with the child in his arms to beg the privilege of having it nursed by mothers who had small children. Through the night, Mr. Judson was chained in the prison yard, and the poor child lay all night on the matting in a corner of Mrs. Judson's room, and yet she was unable even to drag herself to it. Once in a while the jailers would allow Mr. Judson to visit her, and then again their iron hearts would not suffer him to go for a week or more. In almost all cases it became necessary to pay money for the privilege of a visit. At the end of eighteen months' imprisonment, an order came for the release of Mr. Judson. With a joyful heart, Mrs. Judson prepared to leave Oung Penla. But what was her disappointment on being informed by the chief jailer that she was not mentioned in the order of release, and therefore could not go? She told him that she was not a prisoner, never had been, and that, therefore, an order for her release was unnecessary and absurd. But the avaricious wretches could not thus be satisfied. They forbade, on penalty of execution, any villager to let her cart and oxen. Mr. Judson was then taken out of prison to the house of the jailer, and there, after a long altercation and various threats and promises, he obtained permission for Mrs. Judson to leave also. Only within a few days she had received a liberal supply of provisions from Ava, and all this had to be surrendered to the jailers for their own use. At noon they left, Mr. Judson being in charge of the chief jailer, and Mrs. Judson and her servant and children in a boat which she hired. Both reached Ava before dark, but while Mrs. Judson found her way to her own house, Mr. Judson was locked up in prison. Early next morning Mrs. Judson went to look after her husband, 
she was almost disheartened to find him locked up again and still with his chains on but the governor of the city informed her that he was only in prison for a short time and that as soon as certain affairs were settled he was to go to the burmese camp as interpreter he shall come to-morrow on his way to maloon where the army is encamped and see you a while said the governor with great anxiety mrs judson waited to see if the governor's words were true they so turned out her husband spent an hour or two with her and was then crowded into a little boat for maloon he was three days on the river and having no bed and being exposed to the night dews was again attacked with fever which very nearly put an end to his life scarcely had her husband left before mrs judson whose health had never recovered from the sickness suffered at oang penla began rapidly to fail a dreadful indian disease called the spotted fever attacked her she knew that in the majority of cases the disease terminated fatally her distress in regard to her babe maria was great but the very day she was prostrated a burmese nurse offered her services this was all the more remarkable for the fact that she had repeatedly on previous occasions tried hard yet in vain to obtain a nurse about this time mr judson was returned from the burmese camp to ava he passed immediately in front of his own house as he proceeded to the governor's house he had not seen his wife or child for six weeks and he begged earnestly and imploringly that he might go in the door which was open if only for five minutes but his keepers were deaf to his appeals and dragged him on to the courtyard there under a decaying shed he lay chained for the night quite early in the morning the governor sent for him and remarked to him that he would go his security for the government and let him have his liberty more swiftly than the feet of a deer he ran to his house the door was open and without being seen by any one he entered the first object which met his eye was a fat half-naked burmese woman squatting in the ashes beside a pan of fire and holding a puny babe on her lap all covered with dirt and which he did not for a moment think was his own he hurried into an adjoining room and across the foot of a bed as if she had fallen there was a woman whom he had as much difficulty in recognizing as his child her face was ghastly pale the features shriveled and pinched and the hair entirely shaved from the head which was now covered with a coarse cotton cap the room itself wore an air of the most abject wretchedness an attempt was subsequently made to have mr judson sent back to the prison at wang penla his wife accidentally hearing all this while yet confined to her room was so seriously affected that her nurse ran out of the house and declared she was dead referring to the circumstances mrs judson in a letter to her brother used these words if ever i felt the value and efficacy of prayer i did it this time i could not rise from my couch i could make no effort to secure my husband i could only plead with that great and powerful being who has said call upon me in the day of trouble and i will hear and thou shalt glorify me and who made me at this time feel so powerfully this promise that i became quite composed feeling assured that my prayers would be answered 
The English army were approaching constantly nearer and nearer to Ava, and the Burmese were thrown into great consternation. They saw from the ease with which their forces were vanquished that unless peace was speedily made, their city would fall into the hands of the foreign army. Mr. Judson and Dr. Price were consulted daily, as also were two English officers in captivity there. After almost endless negotiations and the payment of a large sum of money to the king by Sir Archibald Campbell, the commander of the English forces, Mr. and Mrs. Judson were allowed to leave Ava for the English camp at Amherst, thirty miles from Maine. It was on a cool moonlight night in March that the little party, consisting of Mr. and Mrs. Judson, their babe, and Abby and Mary Hasseltine, set sail down the river Irrawaddy for the British camp. For the first time for a year and a half, they were free from the oppressive rule of Burmese. That they were happy need not be said. Mr. Judson, in referring to the matter, wrote these words. My wife was by my side my baby in my arms, and we all free. No one but ourselves could understand the feelings of our hearts. It needs a twenty-one months qualification, and I can never regret my twenty-one months of misery when I recall that one delicious thrill experienced that March moonlight night as we floated down the Irrawaddy. I think I've had a better appreciation of what heaven may be ever since. Not long afterwards, a treaty of peace was concluded and signed by both the English and Burmese, and a public proclamation made of the cessation of hostilities. Mr. and Mrs. Judson went to Yandabo, remained there two weeks, then left for Rangoon, where they arrived after an absence of two years and three months. Bye-bye. See you next time.